we are live. Welcome to Game Breakers, everyone. Your host, Edwin, once again. Yeah, you know what time it is, man. Back on another Wednesday afternoon. Time to get down to the business. Time to get down to the grind. And time to break down the game. As usual, I hope you guys are having a great day. Hope you guys are tuning in, feeling really nice right now inside. You know, feeling like you, you have a purpose in life, you know? That is the biggest thing so far that I want everyone to take forward and to take and hone in on every single day, every single week. Continue to fight, continue to grind, and continue to listen to Game Breakers. That should be your main focus is right there. Listen to Game Breakers and put your goals intact. You know, and your family are obviously want to have your family and friends there first too, but Game Breakers has to be a part of that big three. <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. But, you know, it's some great news. Once again, a great day to talk about some sports. And we actually have some football news to start us off. Yes, sir. So, guys, sit back and relax. And let's travel to Pittsburgh because Mika Fitzpatrick has just become the highest paid safety in the NFL. Is it a great deal? Yes, it is a great deal. And I'll tell you why. Let me read you this guy's stats, okay? Since being traded from the Dolphins and since uh, the age of 25, Two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time Pro Bowler, 13 interceptions, 36 passes defended, three defensive touchdowns. This guy can get the ball in the end zone after picking it off. Four forced fumbles, five fumble recoveries, 239 solo tackles. Now, you already know how I feel about my safeties, guys. Seriously, I like my guy to be able to cover and tackle, which is why. I'm not going to go into depth about how I really feel about my guy, Jamal Adams, but I was kind of skeptical about the move because I'm just like, you know, he's a great hard hitter. He's a great guy that tackles, uh, but can he really cover as great and as consistently as a guy like Micah Fitzpatrick, a guy like Harrison Smith, a guy like Justin Simmons? I don't know. And those guys, all but one, are below him in the pecking order of the highest-paid safeties annually so far in the season. Right now, we have Mika Fitzpatrick after agreeing to that um, a four-year contract that is worth more than $73.6 million, uh, 36 guaranteed upon signing. He is now at $18.4 million. We also do have Jamal Adams next at 17.6. We have Harrison Smith at 16 mil, Justin Simmons at 15.3, and Buda Baker at 14.8 for the top five safeties so far in the league. Just have to give you guys another um, another name out there. Eddie Jackson, 14.6. Now, is he a top 10 safety? Maybe, but is he a top 6 safety? Probably not. Anyways, moving on. My guy, Mickey Fitzpatrick, is that guy, okay? And let me tell you something, man. The Steelers have done some good, quiet business this offseason that I think that can still make them relevant into next season. Because even though I do have my slight hatred for the Steelers, it uh, goes way back when, since I was in middle school, actually. Uh, but these guys have had a nice, quiet offseason. I was just actually listening to Rich Eisen's show and listening to his podcast. And he was speaking about how this team, after drafting a QB for the first time in a decade, two decades plus probably, they still have no buzz. And that's good. You know, you want to make sure that you have – uh, scenery that is quiet and that is focused and that is is committed to trying to get the job done. You know, it's, it's okay to have the buzz around here and there, but this is one of the reasons why you drafted a guy in Kenny Pickett to Pittsburgh because 
he would have that timeline to succeed. He would have a good head coach. He would have a good roster to be to be able to compete. And ultimately, I, I think personally that if they run the season with Mitchell Trubisky, they have a good shot at making the postseason. I'm going to say it like it is, to be honest, because I, I believe that Trubisky can utilize his athleticism and utilize that scheme. I know the offensive coordinator has not been the best uh, so far, and some Steelers fans have definitely voiced that. But going into this season, I think that having Mitchell Trubisky there would be able to prompt them to have a nice season and hopefully contend, you know, because I like the Steelers. I like the whole team that they have so far. The receiving core is nice. Uh, the offensive line is in the works. It's not the best, but it's getting there. We do have a guy in Najee Harris who had a thousand yards behind that dreadful offensive line last year. And you still have Matt Canada there too. So hopefully he can continue to uh, help this team elevate its offense. But if he can do that for a guy in Kenny Pickett or a guy in Mitchell Trubisky, then I see now, I see why not. And we already know that this team is more dedicated to the defensive side of the football than it is to the offensive side of the football. Hence why we have a guy in Minka Fitzpatrick getting this large deal, which is well-deserved, by the way, too, because now the safety market is only increasing. So guys, as in Jesse Bates, guys, as in Darren James, are going to get their pay. Guys who are franchise tag, who are on one-year deals, whatever, they're going to get their payday. They have negotiating uh, power in this stance now. So it's a good thing for the whole entire league for safeties, if I'm being honest with you, or for the top safeties. But Minka Fitzpatrick is a game-changer, a game-changer. This one of the future that back recent years, and you say this really panned out for them. It was a good deal for both teams, you know, getting first round picks with Mika Fitzpatrick, getting Mika Fitzpatrick to come and elevate this secondary. This guy does it all. He tackles. He's a great, consistent coverage player, and he's just a leader in that locker room that you can continue to have. At a young age too. He's only twenty five years old. Only twenty five years old, doing this. So, yes, Mickey Fitzpatrick is a good deal for the Steelers. I do believe, I do believe that this team will have a chance to compete next season, despite them not getting the amount of buzz that you would expect from a team that has a new QB, that has had some, you know, some noise happen in the past with the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger. This team, they do have a chance for me to compete next season, if I'm being honest here. Maybe like a 9-8 season the most. Maybe for a lucky 10 and 7, but I do see some type of improvement happening next season. If you guys can hear that in the background, <laughs> I do have a fire uh a fire truck just blasting some some noise, but it is what it is. Hey, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do in surroundings. But anyways, moving on. We have some news regarding now. This team does not really get that much buzz anyway regarding its whole entire team and the franchise itself, but Terry McLaurin wants a new contract, right? He wants to be able to be paid like a top five receiver. Basically, he wants to get contracts that are comparable to Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, Christian Kirk, Hunter Renfro, Allen Robinson. All those guys received new contracts. All those guys, you know, are making at least 15 million annually this season. Now, can he make 15 million annually? Probably definitely can. Because... He's better than a couple of guys on this list. Christian Kirk, Hunter Renfro, maybe at this stage of his career, Allen Robinson, but, you know, it's, it's kind of iffy for me in that stance. Definitely better than Mike Williams for me. It has more of an impact. And 
you look at the number of QBs that he has had to play with in the past couple of years. I mean, seriously, eight different starting signals, signal callers in the past eight years. I mean, eight, eight years. In the past eight different QBs. That's a lot. A lot. And that would be nine because you have Carson Wentz coming into the fold. So I look at the whole entire situation and I say, he reminds me of a, a young D-Hop, a young DeAndre Hopkins where he was producing these solid numbers with some average to good sometimes to mostly mediocre QB play. Because you guys know how I feel about my guy, Taylor Heineke, and what he was able to do, Heineke magic, all that. But ultimately, he's not the guy. I get that. I was just trying to gas him up because I felt like he was okay for them as a starter. And that with that defense that was supposed to be good, be good last year, they would have a chance to uh, at least contend for a wild card spot. Didn't happen. But over the past years, as a third-round draft pick, by the way, 76 overall, racked up 3,990 yards, 16 touchdowns on 222 receptions. It's pretty good. That's pretty damn good, I must say. But is he worth top five receiver money? I don't know. And it's not his fault. It's not his fault because, yes, he has produced a lot. With the receiving, I mean, with the yeah, he has some targets that were given to him that were more than any other receivers on that team. Obviously, I think JD McKissick was probably the next targeted receiver on that team. He's a running back, but I don't know if, if I would give him top five receiver money if he doesn't have a good QB play that can help him elevate his game into making me think that he's probably worth top five receiver money. Now, I know that doesn't make sense too much, but let me say this right. He's produced with mediocre slash average QBs. But there's something always about DeAndre Hopkins that I saw that made me believe that he was a top five receiver. And he was. And he proved that going into Arizona that he could still have the same kind of even more impactful numbers than he did in Houston. When he finally got Deshaun Watson, he was able to elevate his game and become that star receiver once again be a better version of that star receiver. Now, I'm not saying that Terry McLaurin isn't nice, but will he be able to elevate his game probably if he does get better QB play? Can Carson Wentz, a guy like him, can he come in and elevate this receiver into being a better receiver than he what he was the past couple of seasons? He probably can, but I'm not ready to give him top five receiver money just yet. Top 10 receiver money? Almost definitely. I think personally he has earned that right to have top 10 receiver money with the amount of QBs that he's had come in that door in the past couple of years. But let me wait out. If I, were, if I were the GM, let me wait out. Let me say to myself, listen, I know that you are a great player, but giving you top five receiver money means there's going to be a lot of expectations put on the shoulders of McLaurin that I'm not sure he would be able to handle just yet until I see it. So, I think that coming into the season, Carson Wentz is going to be probably the best receiver. I mean, best receiver, probably the best quarterback that they've had coming through that door in a long time, um, despite what people may say about Carson Wentz. But I want to see what these guys can do. Now, the system is, is very important. You know, this team wants to be able to play defense and sometimes pound the rock with Antonio Gibson. I get all that. But now that we have a QB that can kind of stress the field and has the arm to push it down the field, we don't have to utilize these uh, short route short route running trees 
and try to get McLaurin into space and try to have him get yak yards. Like, no, you know, I want him to see uh, deep balls down there. I want to see a lot of taking shots down the field, stretch this defense and make sure that they have their honest, their honest defense out there so that they know that we can't get beat deep because McLaurin is going to be there. Now he's not a speed demon himself, but now that we do have Carson Wentz, we have the opportunity to push the ball down the field more times than not. Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick, those kind of guys, not really the guys that you look for when it comes to trying to hit home runs down deep. It's not their game. It's not their game, you know? So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I do like the whole idea of him trying to push for a top five receiver contract because if we're being honest, he has definitely made a case for it. I just don't know if I would give it to him. I don't know. I don't know. But Scott Turner, though, Scott Turner, your job, your job now to make sure that you get the most out of Carson Wentz and get the most out of this whole entire lineup that you have right now. Because now you have Carson Wentz. You have you still have Terry McLaurin. You, you, you drafted a receiver in Jahan Dotson, first round pick, too. You know, you got to make sure that you make sure that everything goes work. Everything works well and everything goes uh, around. Because let me tell you something, man. If we don't have at least a top 15 offense next season from this guy, nah, it's not good enough for me. It's not. Yeah, it's going to be in the works. It's going to be some kinks to run out. Of course, we get all that. But I think that this team has enough talent on offense to at least be a middle-of-the-pack team in offense next year. At least that. So, We'll see what happens, but I'm liking the pieces. I'm liking the chances to compete next season. Obviously, I do believe that the best team in the NFC East right now is the Eagles, if I'm being honest. But that doesn't mean that the Cowboys and the Commanders can't make a run for the title, and it doesn't mean they can't command a chance to make a run for the wild card spots in the NFC because it's a wild, I said wild, it's an open race for me, if I'm being honest, a wild, a wildly open race. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Turning our attention to some basketball talk, let's go into detail about this guy who doesn't really get too much buzz. And this team, once again, three straight teams that have not gotten a much buzz this offseason slash season, for that matter. The Detroit Pistons are widely expected to trade Jeremy Grant. Now, Jeremy Grant, for me, is a good player. He really is. I like Jeremy Grant. I think that... Whatever team he goes to, obviously, this is going to be the case for any player, but, you know, whatever team he goes to, he can really elevate that team in a sense of trying to make them a contender, depending on what team. And, you know, if he does go to a good team, he's just making him a, a better team in that sense. But he's a nice stretch for Um, You saw what he did in his time with OKC. That's when he really broke out, 13 points. Then he had a nice OKC season in Denver, 12 points, right? But in Detroit... Is where he finally put everything together. And he had that nice offensive package that we wanted to see him grow into coming into the league. And so far, he has done that. Past two seasons has averaged more than 19 points plus, pretty much. Pretty good for me. Pretty good. So, looking at a team in Detroit, they can get a lot from trading away Jeremy Grant. Not a lot as in like a couple of first-round picks, probably not, but... I think you could probably get a first-round pick in that. Definitely can. Definitely can. Because we saw so many times these past couple of seasons, 
these players that I don't even think are worth first round draft picks, they're included in the deal. So yeah, you definitely can. You definitely can. And Jeremy Grant is a player that whatever team he goes to, by the way, that needs a stretch for, that needs some offensive scoring threat, that needs a guy that can be versatile on defense, can do that. He can come in there and do the job. So Jeremy Grant, for me, I, I like the idea of trying to trade him because let's face it, guys, man, he's not going to be able to help this team win it in the near future. Once again, this Detroit team needs more picks. They need more talent. They need more young pieces there. They need a philosophy that is built that I feel as though, even though he is a nice player, they can ex- they can expedite that process of trying to be relevant again in the East if they can find a way to trade Jeremy Grant and get some more pieces and more picks for him. But depending on what team he goes to, you know, there were some rumors about him going to the Chicago Bulls. Um, now that we do have a need, I guess you could say, quote-unquote, the Miami Heat for some Heat fans that are saying that. But I think the Bulls would have been a great fit for him. A great fit. I'm not really too keen on Patrick Williams. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too keen on Derek Jones filling in at that stretch four either. So, yeah. If you if you find a way to get Jeremy Grant, yes, they had some key injuries last season. But I think he would be a really good fit for them. Seriously. And this team, you know, if, if now that it's suspected that Zach Levine is, is going to be signed for the team, it's suspected that he's going to do that. Now you have to find a way to expedite that process and that timeline of trying to win now. Because you got DeMar DeRozan, you got Zach Levine, two stars already right there. Okay? You have Lonzo Ball coming off of that injury. He's going to be back next season. Alex Caruso is still there. The guy that single-handedly took over game two against the Bucks in the playoffs. Right? On defense. You have uh, a nice young piece in Ayo Desumu. These guys can help you win. And now you get a stretch four that can that can help you score the basketball. I'm not sure what they're gonna go into when it comes to uh exploring any options with Vucevic, but he's still there for the moment. But you get Jeremy Grant, and maybe you sign a, a big in the in the offseason because let's face it, guys, this team was really, really, really small last year. Really small. Smallest team in the playoffs, probably, if I'm being honest. So you get that. Maybe you sign a Dwight Howard. Or a Mo Bomb, but it doesn't matter who it is, to be honest. Someone who's just bigger than Vic Vucevic. <laughs> you know, Vucevic is, is a guy that's not, he's a he's a he's a power forward. He's not a center, he's a power forward. I know he plays center, but he's a power forward. He's, he's not big enough to play center for me. Now he doesn't have the body mass to do so. He does a good a good job of stretching that floor and pushing out the big to have the penetration uh aspect of the game for DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, sometimes Ayo Dusumu. Kobe White, but he's not that guy when it comes to the center of this department. Um, but I do like the idea. Trading away Jeremy Grant does give Detroit some options to rebuild. And you never know. Kate Cunningham is there. I like that that piece right there for them. He could find a way to really make this team a much better team in the future. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team in the near future. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I do believe is that Having a guy that is not going to help you win right now, that can get you the most for your for your buck right now, and trading him would be a good option for this team moving forward. All right. Now, this news is kind of a bit old, but I wanted to give them their props. Uh, getting your coach back, <laughs> not getting your coach back, but extending your coach, Taylor Jenkins, Memphis Grizzlies, 
signing a multi-year contract extension. Taylor Jenkins, great job this year, man. I mean, led this Memphis Grizzlies team to second in the West. Uh, he was second in the NBA Coach of the Year award in voting. Uh, he had his team do great job, top six in both offensive rating and defensive rating. Uh, was one of the best teams in rebounding, probably the best team in rebounding uh, in at 49 rebounds per game. Offensive uh, rebounds per game was 14. Did a great job. Led the NBA in steals, two blocks. This team was doing a good job. And he actually put all these pieces together when it came to how they, they developed their pieces, the young players, Zaire Williams, who I was a big critic of, critic of coming into the league, but he has proven to be a good piece for them. You know, Killian Hayes. That's a Killian Hayes. Uh, uh, Xavier Tillman, who's a nice piece for them off the bench, did a good job over there. Um, um, Brandon Clark is the guy I was thinking about. Obviously, John Morant, most improved player for a reason, right? Desmond Bain. So all these guys have done a good job. Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson was a great rim protector this past season. So, yes, did not end off the way they wanted to. I mean, losing to the Warriors is not really a bad thing to do in the league anyway. But, I mean, since that you were the second seed, you are, quote-unquote, for all the pundits who just look at numbers, the favorites. But we know you weren't the favorites going into this series anyway. Uh, the point is that they have been a really, really, really improved team over the past two years, three years. And I think it should only get better. Because now that you are winning, teams are going to want to come in there and try to win with you. Now that you, I mean, second seed in the, in the West is no joke at all. It's no joke. So you keep on winning. You keep on having a philosophy that is built there. You have a foundation already instilled there. Yes. There's a chance for more free agents to come in there and make this team much better than it, it already is. All right. Franchise record won 11 consecutive games, too, by the way. Cannot forget about that. Taylor Jenkins, for me, one of the smartest coaches in the league so far. And he just, you know, we go back into this whole postseason battle between them and the Memphis and, and, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think that was more of a case of them beating their match, which is why they kind of struggled a bit. But um, overall, they they have the talent there. They do. They have the talent there, and they play as a team. We saw that in the regular season. Despite it, it being the regular season, we saw that this team was able to put forth great performances without its best player and John Morant, which is what you need to do because now it comes down to you don't have that star power. Yes, you have Jaron Jackson. You have Desmond Bain here and there, but you don't have that star power to get you through these other games. Right. And now it comes down to how will your coaching be able to win these different matchups that the NBA will present to you on a nightly basis. And so far, what was it 15 and two? They rose to that challenge. So Taylor Jenkins rose to that challenge. Did a great job of that. So kudos to you for that. Um, but Memphis has got a good one. Once again, looking up there, looking up there. Great, great, great stuff from them. All right. Yes. Let's move on. Finally, finally, NBA, NBA Finals. Of course, you guys knew I was going back over here, man. Of course. So, Game 5, what happened? 83% of the teams that win Game 5 win the series. It's what happens, I guess. All right. So, remember that guy that I was telling you guys about that has had a steady postseason of just being the unsung hero for this Warriors team? Wasn't Clay Thompson? 
Of course, it wasn't Jamon Green. It wasn't Kevon Looney, even though he does have a case. But it was Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins. A guy who has defended Jason Tatum and has caused him to shoot 5 of 15. A guy who has played a role, actually, in causing Tatum to have 95 turnovers, the most in the single season postseason. Yeah, most in the single postseason uh, run. It's not good at all. Not good at all. Well, postseason, well, postseason, no season, whatever the case may be. But you know what I mean. Point is, is that my guy Wiggins, game five Wiggins, to have 26 points, to have a whole offensive groove that he was able to get into early on. And it wasn't just this game five that we saw. Oh, he did it in game four, too. Did it in game three. Wasn't as much points, but steady scoring and just being around the basketball, just being around the right moments, and also defending at a high level prompted them to win this game by 10-plus points when their best player so far, quote-unquote, Steph Curry, did not make a a single three in that game. Shot nine three-point attempts, did not make a single one. Wowzers. (laughs) Wowzers. All right. But ultimately, that's why you have the best team overall in the NBA, in my opinion, to back you up off the bench. Gary Payton, 15 points. Once again, the cutting. The cutting aspect came back in game five. Was not there in game four. I mean, it was okay. It was there in game four somewhat, but was not there in game three. But game five, it was there. The cutting, uh, Jordan Poole off the bench, 14 points. Efficient game. I think that he did a good job of just making better decisions. You know, there was that one play where he obviously he had a step back three, chucked it up. He bricked it really badly. We saw Steve Kerr's face. It was pretty bad. But overall, game five, he made some good decisions. Um, and ultimately, he came off the bench and had a productive night. But let me tell you about my guy, Draymond Green. What did I say before this game happened? I said that I refuse to believe that he's going to have another bad game. And this time, this is the, the, the Draymond Green that I know. Eight points. Yes, that's him. Seven rebounds. Yes, that's him. Six assists. Yes, that's him. That's the Draymond Green that I know. A guy that also defended at a high level in game five for me. Did a good job. Because, yes, this was a low-scoring game. But partly was that because of Draymond Green coming back to life. Coming back to life. In the first half, the Celtics were stumped. Were stumped. You know, and it goes back to the whole idea of turnovers. Once again, Celtics. Once again, we have 18 total turnovers. Cannot win a basketball game like that. And I thought we were seeing something that was never going to be done again, where this team comes back. Um, it was getting pummeled in the first half, pretty much, right? Warriors come out really strong, come out. They were up by, I think it was 20 to 8, 20, yeah, 24 to 4 at one point. I forgot what it was. But they were up by 20 points. You know, they they maintained that lead in the second quarter, okay? And then the Celtics come out in the third quarter, punch back, and it's, go, it's game time. It's game time. Make They didn't make a single three, I believe. They didn't make a single three in the first half. Second half comes, and finally, it took them five games to do so, but finally, they come out in the third quarter, punching back. They made, I believe, seven consecutive three-pointers. Insane. Scored... 35 points, outscored the Warriors, 
for the first time in a long time in the third quarter. But in the fourth, we kind of saw the unraveling again. Turnovers that were kind of sloppy. Missed buckets, missed shots. At some point in the beginning of the fourth, they could not buy a bucket again. Again. You know, and it turned into a blowout later on in the game. But Andrew Wiggins, man, Andrew Wiggins did his thing. Did his thing. Guys, this guy has, as a guard too, by the way, as a guard, 16 rebounds in one game. And then the next game, 13 rebounds. What? As a guard. Oh, nah. Oh, nah. I'm not sure about that. You cannot, I mean, as a, as a, from a Celtic standpoint, you cannot let this guy have 13 rebounds. You just can't. Just can't. You just cannot. Celtics also shot terrible from the three. It wasn't terrible. It was actually the Warriors who shot the worst. But both teams didn't shoot the ball well is what I'm trying to say. Uh, 11 of 32, 34%. Eh. Warriors, 9 of 40, 22%. Ooh, that's rough. So on, on a night where the Warriors shoot the worst, out of either teams from the three-point line, they still find a way to win the game by 10 points. That's insane. Because overall, the Celtics shot 41%, which is not terrible, but Warriors shot 46%. And in the paint, 50 points to the Celtics 36, that should be where you dominate. But apparently that's not what's happening. And, you know, it goes back to the whole idea of the stars. Tatum did a good job, 27 points, uh, 10 of 20 shooting. But Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, I mean, he has that dog in him sometimes, but sometimes that dog is too much. I was actually talking about this on, on, on Chris J's show. Shut up and listen. Make sure you guys go tune in for that. But this guy, Jalen Brown, it's like Tatum has the imbalance of trying to be aggressive. Jalen Brown has the imbalance of trying to make the right basketball play at times. There'd be times where he, he just drives down the court, he gets stripped, Maybe in that situation, he probably should have passed the ball out to a teammate when he saw that double team coming in. When it comes to Tatum, he's not aggressive enough. I mean, bro, Steph Curry is on you. You should never settle. You should never settle. You should never pass the ball. Never. So that's their biggest issue right there. That's the biggest issue. A lot of these turnovers in the fourth quarter were probably because of Jalen Brown's inefficiency to be uh, careful with the basketball to be clean with the basketball, and that's what happened. But he also shot terrible from the field. 15 of 18, didn't make a single three. That's not good enough. That's not. It wasn't a crucial game to win, but it goes back into who's going to take control of the series. Who's going to put their foot down and say that we want the series more than you do? And so far, it has been the Warriors winning game five. And that's why I'm actually going to call them to win game six, you know, because now it's it's a case of the Celtics have so much pressure on them. So much. So much pressure on them that they have to play with their backs against the wall. Despite them being home, they will have that crowd factor behind them. They will have the factor of their role players playing much better in a game that's at home, in a must-win game, too. I do expect that to happen. But the Warriors being that veteran team, the Warriors being that team that won game five without Steph Curry, making a single three-pointer, the Warriors being that team that has been the engine of, of you know, that has utilized the engine of Jim on Green, who is now seemingly finally back into the series. I don't know if I can trust the Celtics to win that game. I don't know. 
I, like, I, I want to believe. I kind of don't want to believe, to be honest. But you know how I feel about the Celtics. But from an unbiased standpoint, I want to believe that they can win this game and push this a seven-game series. But the Warriors, looking at that mentality, looking at the factors of how much they got from their bench this past game, the overall team performance, Clay Thompson make, making some buckets. He's becoming more efficient now in the series. All of this is looking like, I don't know if I can see the Celtics. Maybe if we have a miraculous game from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, then definitely, yeah, they can definitely win game six and force a game seven. But so far, you're getting pummeled in the in the paint, which is not what I expected. Yeah, you're going to out-rebound them uh, 47 to 39, but you're not getting enough stops. And so far in the past two to three games, if I'm being honest, aside from game three, maybe the Warriors have looked like, looked like they're, they're the better defensive team. The Warriors have looked like they were the defensive team in this series coming in that put fear into people's hearts. Now, that's a shocker. That is. Because all season long, all postseason, we raved about this Celtics team, about how great of a team they are defensively, which they are. Cannot dispute that. But over the past two games, what have I seen? The defense has turned up for the Warriors. And they have forced the Celtics team into making some careless decisions with the basketball that can never help you win a game. Never help you win a game. So, yes, the memes are loading. Trophy case is going to be there. The trophy is going to be there. The, the MVP, finals MVP trophy will be there. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Celtics fans, it's time to join us. All right? I know that we had our, our, our vacation earlier than you guys did, but, oh, yeah, we'll be waiting for you. We'll be waiting for you. The Warriors, you guys can go and celebrate uh, when you have your parade or whatever the case may be, but it's over for me. I said Warriors in six. And I'm sticking to it. I am sticking to it. But we'll see what happens, though. Once again, Tatum, Brown, they have proven in the past that when it's time for elimination, they have stepped up. So there's no reason why you shouldn't believe that they don't have a chance to win game six. No reason why you shouldn't believe. But I know that from what I've seen from the Warriors standpoint in the past couple of games, with the great scoring ability of Steph Curry, with the steady scoring abilities of Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins, with the rebirth of Draymond Green, with the bench presence of Jordan Poole, who has come alive once again, Gary Payton, who has played better, defended better. Oh, yeah. I don't really believe in this office too much. I don't. So, Warriors game six, they are winning this game. They win the, top, the finals for me, and they also hoist up that trophy. It's time to start celebrating Warriors fans. I'm just joking. It's not over yet. But that's what I'm calling. All right, guys. Well, you know what time it is, man. The end of the show, the end of a great episode once again. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Game Breakers. You know, be sure to check out some more Game Breakers talk, Game Breakers analysis, and some more Game Breakers energy from your guy, Edwin. And once again, support my guy, Will, with his new project coming up in the future. Uh, can't tell you what's going to go on with that, but just stay tuned for that. You know, and also support my team, MBS, as well, too. And keep on tuning in for Game Breakers every week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. All right, we are out. Peace.